From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go on a Tuesday. Draft is a couple days away. It's Cofield. Willie Ramirez is here as the company. Lots of preview of the draft on the way. Talk about some of the teams in the top 10. We got more Raiders rumors. We'll address some of the stories that were coming down yesterday about Darren Waller. Potentially Raiders in talks with the Packers to grab Darren Waller. That's all coming up. Let's get to it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Well, draft week is here, Willie, and we've got a ton of events around town. The timing couldn't be worse for you as your leg's still jacked up, or is it? Because you're a lunatic. You got surgery on your knee last Thursday, and then I see you for the next couple of days, like all over town, walking around. What the hell are you doing? Yeah, I went right to, went next day, went, showed up at the PT place for the assessment, and my, uh, <clears throat> the head physical therapist, he said, so you ready to get in the gym? And I looked at him and said, you serious? He said, based on what they did, you can't do anything to damage it. It's already swollen and, you know, you're here. So we're going to put some stim and ice on it afterwards. So let's go. So Friday, right. the day after surgery, I did PT and uh, went to the regular gym and got got, got on the bike and just slow grind and and then uh, went to the spring game on Saturday. Went to the Golden Knights game on Sunday. And how's uh, it feeling? It's sore. You know, it's definitely sore. It definitely feels like someone dug in around there, but it didn't. Uh, it's not, as he said, it's not. Uh, you know, it's not hindering me from walking. It's just I'm walking with a limp, and um, it, it really it hurts more when I'm sitting around for a long period of time because it gets stiff, it gets tight. But when you're moving. The blood's flowing. You're breaking up all those dead cells that are causing the swelling from from surgery. So um, the good news is, is that I am upfront about all of my injury. I am not day to day. I am active. <laughs> I am knows. available. I am on the active list. To. What's that? I'm tired of being lied to. You should be tired yeah. of being lied to. Yeah, I'm not being lied to. I am on the active list for Cofield and Company. I am on the active list for AP. I am not going to take any maintenance days. I was in the Golden Knights interview room on Friday and Saturday. Alex Petrangelo, he he inquired about it, and he asked me. I got the video. He said, what did you do to your leg? And I said, well, I'm day-to-day at this point, but I'm not taking a maintenance day, and I'm good to go. Did you tell him when he looked at your leg that it was an upper body injury? <laughs> no, I, no like, and I didn't tell him. right to his face? No. No, because it's not my style. I, I just assume be upfront with everything and let everybody know because I'm not worried about anybody. You know, I, I it's just I, I'm sort of not in the industry where somebody's going to go after my leg. At least I don't think so. There might there might be a couple of people. Never know later there. in the week. Never know later in the week, right? You better yeah. hide that injury. There's some media members that I don't trust, but that's all right. Go low, take them out. Go low. All right, final gas tonight in Dallas. Golden Knights. It's not the final, but they got to win this one, right, Willie? It's a 5.30 start. Um, the number now is yeah, 110 each way. Let me check what William Hill has. But uh, toss-up game, but a must, absolute must-win. Knights have no margin for error. And really, the only way they can make the playoffs if it starts tonight with a win against a team they're battling for one of the spots. Yeah, it comes down to this. It's, just, it's, it's so surprising that 
of all the talk of everything that this team's gone through, that we are three games out from the end of the regular season, and we're still talking about them being avail- being eligible to to make the postseason. That they could make a run, they could get some, uh, you know, they could get some favors from the opponents of Dallas, Nashville, or the Kings, and they could still enter the postseason. It's shocking to me, but they have to do their part. And it wouldn't surprise. Here's the thing: for as crazy as this uh, season is gone. For the lunacy that has taken place surrounding this organization from year one to especially year five, it would not shock me for to see them run the table and then slip in. They're 2-0-0 against Dallas this season, so they've already got their number, and now it's just a matter of, you know, it, it, and people say, well, well, Dallas hosts, uh, what is it, Anaheim and Arizona to, to, close the, to close the season, I believe, and and, and so it's impossible for them to lose. Well, everyone thought it was impossible for Golden Knights to lose to New Jersey and San Jose at home in Las Vegas, especially a San Jose team that had lost, was it 11 in a row, 12 in a row? So to, to Vegas, 11 in a row. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just waiting. I have, I have my season recap story waiting in terms of just ready to pull the trigger and, and sort of – Fine tune the the final those point the the simple points of this, but I'm not holding out. I'm I'm not. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting to till it's official. Official. I'm not saying anything about the season being over. Not with this team. I saw that uh, Timo Meyer mentioned the other day that the other guys <laughs> on the team got uh, text messages from uh, friends and players and other teams around yeah. the league and uh, said they were definitely rooting for them to win, not the Knights. And I wonder how widespread that is that players around the league can't stand the freaking Knights. We know fans can't. Yeah, it's it's that's just I think I think people are tired of the they're certainly tired of the uh, of the Golden Knights are tired of the talk of the the darlings of the NHL, you know, and I and I would I would venture to say that I'm that that the players around the league are thankful that they're not that the Kraken, the Seattle Kraken, are not seeing the same success that the Vegas Golden Knights did in their first season. Um, and I think it's just kind of worth in, not just because of you know, the, the success. I don't think it's, it's, it's solely because of the success. I think it's because of the allure of everybody wanting to come here. You know, I made this comment and we're going to talk about the Golden Knights throughout the show, but you know, this used to be a team that was made up of players that nobody wanted. Now it's made up of a team of players that everybody wanted at the deadline or during the off season. So, you know, I think players are tired of that. They're tired of seeing, you know, I, I, I think it just kind of wears thin. You're tired of hearing about Vegas. You're tired of hearing about the Golden Knights and, and the players. So they're, they're happy to see them get bounced. What are you feeling on Leonard right now, now that it's official, now that the organization is dictating terms? Out for the year, season-ending surgery. I feel bad for the guy. I feel bad for the guy because this is a guy that, you know, since he uh, won the, the Masterton Award and, you know, sort of came clean and, and laid it all out at the NHL award show, he's always been up front. He's been willing to talk. There have been times he's come in for a simple press conference and someone's asked a question and then he said, you know, I wasn't going to get into this, but, and then he ends up, you end up getting a 15 minute press conference instead of a four minute press conference. This is a guy who always is willing to, you know, give a little bit more, talk a little bit more. Now, I will say, you know, he's been snarky at times with the media and he's taken shots at guys who probably didn't deserve it. And he's sort of venting at other things. And he's just, so he's just being snarky, not being, but it comes across as to, 
who he's attacking maybe on deadline. But the bottom line is Robin Leonard is a guy who 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 is who has grown to be someone who is upfront about everything. And I don't think that he, you know, I think he's he's been more than willing to want to talk about it. Now the injuries during the season, I do know for a fact that when Saravelli, Frank Saravelli, um did the second tweet last month about the kneecap that Leonard was not happy about it simply because he was staying active and he, I know he, uh, he exchanged messages with Frank and told him, Hey, you know, you don't need to put that out there because now people are going to come after me while I'm in the crease. Frank said, well, if it's not injured and there's nothing wrong with it, then what do you have a problem for? Well, you know, what, what's, 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 you know, if there's nothing wrong with you, then you shouldn't worry about it. So, but the bottom line is, is, you know, this is a guy that, I don't think that the games that the Golden Knights were playing, and I don't think it's DeBoer either. I think he was told how to handle it. Um, I don't think that that's on Leonard's plate, and I don't think he appreciated it, and I think he wanted to just get it out there, get it over with, get it done with. Coming up, let's get into the draft. We'll start talking to some of the uh, experts with teams. uh, They're covering teams that are in the top ten. Talk about the Giants, who have two picks, five and seven, and how much the Giants can control the uh, top ten of this draft if they decide to move up, move out. A lot of good stuff on the way on a Cofield and Company Tuesday show. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. With the ninth pick in the 2015 NFL Draft, the New York Giants select Eric Flowers. Tackle Miami. Well, I'm sure that they were upset that Scherf, the the new Scherf in town in the division, but unfortunately for the Giants, he went to Washington. So now here is Flowers. It's time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft. Was that wah, wah? Was that for the bad pick or for Chris Berman trying to do some stupid play on words? I miss him. I miss him at the draft. Our uh, vast sound crew has been pulling a lot of the uh, old, bad first-round picks. And here's what happens with a bad first-round pick. It has an after-effect. You can struggle for years at the position, and it seems like the Giants have struggled for years on the offensive line. Let's bring in Dan Duggan, the athletic. We wanted to talk about the Giants and their path to the draft, number pick, uh, number five pick and number seven pick. Dan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing better than Giants fans who just have to relive that Iron Flowers draft pick. So. I know. I know we've been we've been doing it to everybody. So uh, I think later on we've got the Seahawks in like two out of three years taking Dan McGuire and Rick Myron. So uh, every team has their difficulties. But but what I said is kind of true, right? With Flowers, like when you miss on a position like that, then you're scrambling every freaking year, whether it's a draft or free agency, to try to make up for a botched pick. Yeah, and I mean you can say that about a few positions. Obviously, they haven't drafted very well in a while. Like off the tackle, like you mentioned, cornerback Eli Apple, DeAndre Baker. That's why they're still. Uh, very much in the market for one again this year. Um, yeah, no, it sets you back, and you know, like you say, you kind of just keep scrambling to try and fill holes that you know use a top ten pick. You expect to fill it, and uh, it sets you back if you don't. Uh, speaking of the offensive line, before we get into uh, the potential new faces the Giants could bring in, do we have an update on uh, Nick Gates, who's actually a Vegas guy? Went to Bishop Gorman here, had that devastating uh, leg injury at the beginning of the season last year. Uh, I will say it was a good sign. We were um, out at a voluntary minicamp practice last week. And he was on the field. I mean, he wasn't doing anything, but he's just kind of riding next to his bike and, and just, you know, kind of with the trainers. But even that was promising because when that first happened and he had some complications, he had, had like, I think about half a dozen surgeries. 
they were talking that it could be career-ending. Um, now, I don't know exactly where he is on HR's schedule. I think they're still taking a pretty long-term view. And from what I was hearing last year, um, you know, a couple months after the injury and all the surgeries, it was going to be a long shot for him to be ready to play uh, by this season. I mean, I don't think it's, you know, hopefully it's not going to be a career-ending thing. Maybe he does get back this season. Again, it was promising just being out there on the field. Uh, but I think they're taking a long-term view that, like, if he can just get himself back into being, you know, in, in shape and, and be ready to play, and then hopefully maybe by 2023 he can really, you know, hopefully get back to the level. Because it's a sad story because he, he was a great success story and really um, had established himself here, and, and then that was just such a brutal setback. What do you think the Giants are going to do in the five-hole? I'd be very surprised if they don't come away with an offensive tackle there. Um, you know, obviously a lot depends on who will be available because I think Houston – uh, or the Jets could take one, but I think you know it's basically three guys. I think are pretty widely viewed as the top you know three tackles in this class, and one of them figures to be there, uh, potentially more. You know, it could easily be you know two of them there. Um, I don't think all three will get that far. So uh, you know, it's hard to say who's you know in what order on their board. I do know they like Charles Cross from Mississippi State, who is sort of widely viewed as the third best tackle prospect. But I know that's not how teams necessarily see it. Um, I know Evan Neal would would make a lot of sense and. Uh, Ikea Kwan is another guy who, like, if any one of those three, I feel like they probably can't go wrong because they just really need to upgrade that position. Um, so, so much will depend on, you know, who goes and who's available in terms of who they walk away with at five. And Giants fans can feel safe that this isn't a Gettleman situation where there's three guys there and he freaks out because he wants one and then trades, you know, both of his first to move up? I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. That would be pretty Good. surprising. I definitely think Joe Shane is taking more of a, a long-term view on this understanding it's a rebuild and not like one player away. So like, would you give up something to, to go from five to three to make sure you get Evan Neal when you can, you know, just stay at five and get Charles right. Cross? Like, I wouldn't think they would do something like that now. All right. So what happens at seven? The seven, obviously again, you know, it's dependent on what comes off the board before them. I think in an ideal world, if they're going to make that pick, I should say, first of all, trading that is very much on the table. I think in, you know, an ideal world, they trade that and somehow get a 2023 first rounder back just to give them a little more ammo in case they need to move up for a quarterback next year if things don't work out with Daniel Jones. But you can't bank on that. It does not sound like the market's very hot for teams looking to get up into the top 10. Um, so if they, if they stay there at seven and have to make the pick, I think you're probably going to have the best defensive player. I think ideally for them, that would be probably Sauce Gardner, the corner from Cincinnati. Uh, they're they're going to need a number one corner here when James Bradbury eventually is traded or released in, you know, in the coming days or weeks. And the, the system they're going to run with Wink Martindale coming from Baltimore is very much predicated on having corners who can basically be on an island, play man-to-man. Uh, so it's not really a position where you can guys like hope to get by with a like, day three pick. I think you need to invest a premium asset there. So I think he would make a ton of sense. If he's off the board, maybe Derek Stingley. Obviously, a lot depends on the injury stuff there. And then edge rushers, another need. I mean, they have plenty of needs. So that's, that's the one thing. They can't go wrong if they just draft for need because they, they have a lot of needs. Uh, so edge rushers in the mix there as well. Uh, but like I said, I think if I was a handicapper right now, Gardner would probably be the most desirable pick at seven if, if they could you know, choose how the board will fall to them. Dan Duggan's with us. Covers the New York Giants. Giants have the fifth. They have the seventh pick. They also, like the Raiders, have a new regime in place. So what's your read? What's the fans' read so far on the new coach-GM combo? Well, this is my this will be my seventh season on the beach. I came in right after uh, Tom Coughlin got fired. So I'm already on my fourth head coach third general managers. So I've kind of been through this process many times, so it's hard for me to really get swept up anymore because every time a new regime comes in, the fan base is excited. Obviously, there's an extended honeymoon phase during that first offseason, 
and then reality strikes in September and October, and then you know things kind of have gone sideways just repeatedly. I will say there's definitely optimism about this group. I mean, as there should be. I mean, it's a new regime. They're coming from Buffalo. Obviously, had a lot of success there. Uh, I think Shane, you know, just kind of carries himself a, a lot more. There's a lot more confidence uh, being inspired by the way he carries himself than the way Dave Gettleman did, who was just been kind of such a crusty old school guy. Or Shane, I think he's a lot more progressive. Um, so that's a step in the right direction. It seems like I guess we'll learn a lot based on what he does with these picks this weekend. That'll that'll be how we truly judge. Uh, but just the way he presents himself, uh, that's caused some optimism. And then Dable, I mean, the offense has been a disaster the last couple of years. He he clearly um, you know has a good track record at least from his time in Buffalo. So there's definitely a sense that you know he can maybe be the guy to, to get that finally going back in the right direction. Uh, but again, like I said, I'm kind of just jaded because I've seen so many of these. And, you know, a year ago at this time, everyone thought Joe Judge was going to be the coach for 10 years. And then obviously that went uh, down the drain really fast. So uh, I've kind of pumped the brakes on getting too overly excited, you know, three months into a new regime. Speaking of Dan Duggan, beat writer, Giants beat writer for The Athletic. Dan, so, I mean, th- there's so many things to unfold with this team based off of, you know, they're giving uh, Daniel Jones one more year. Last year, the defense didn't necessarily do its job, giving up nearly 25 points per game. Is it which which side of it is there? Is there an emphasis or a priority on either side to sort of help the other side of the ball get the you know improve the offense so we could stay on the field longer to give the defense more rest, get a better defense to give Daniel Jones? Where's the priority, or is the is it an overhaul? Yeah, I think it's an overhaul. I think they've kind of tried that sort of patch this hole, patch that hole last couple off seasons, and it really hasn't paid off. Uh, you know, I think last year clearly the focus was getting weapons around Daniel Jones. You know, they went out and signed Kenny Galladay, they signed Kyle Rudolph, they used the first round pick on Kadarius Tony. Like, there was a big emphasis on like get him weapons, get him weapons, and then the offensive line was bad. The offensive coordinator got fired. The defense, like you said, wasn't very good. And, and Daniel Jones didn't play that well. So, not, I mean, and he got hurt. <laughs> so, nothing came of that. It was basically a lost year for him. Uh, so, I think now you have to kind of take a holistic view of this. You can't say we're going to do everything we can for Daniel Jones. You're going to do everything you can to just improve this roster. So, if that means taking a cornerback or a safety over a wide receiver, you know, whatever it may be, they just need more talent and more guys they can build around. So, whether that's Daniel Jones or whoever succeeds him at quarterback, it's just going to be in a better position because this roster has just kind of been. Uh, devoid of talent for the most part for the last decade or so, really. Are they going to try to uh, collect more picks by getting rid of uh, Slayton, but maybe more shockingly, Kadarius Tony? Yeah, I mean, Slayton, they're definitely open to moving, I and mean, it's just a situation where you know, he's like a number four receiver. He, he had a, a pretty good start to his career as a fifth-round pick and, and had a down year last year. And it's, they're really tight against the cap, so they can clear $2.5 million off the cap by moving him, so it just seems like that's a little bit of a luxury for this team. I think it might be kind of tough to move him. I'm not sure he's a ton of value, especially at that price tag. So he might be a guy who ends up being like a cut day cut just to, you know, for cap purposes. Tony is, that's been like the dominant storyline here the last couple of days. What exactly is going on there? Is it a lot of semantics at play where are they shopping him or are they just willing to listen? Um, you know, it's hard to really drill down and, and get the answer to that type of thing because the team obviously doesn't want it out there. They're shopping him. And then if they can't find a taker, well, now they're stuck with him. So, um, the fact that they're even open to trading him says a lot. I think the guy was a first-round pick a year ago, but not a first-round pick by Joe Shane and Brian Dable. So if they don't feel like he's a fit with their program and they feel like they can get some value uh, and not have maybe a distraction in the locker room, uh, they're, they'd be open to that. I just don't think there's going to be uh, any 
sort of requisite value to, to again, to give up a guy who clearly does have talent. There's, there's certainly questions with his commitment and that type of thing, but there is talent there. So to just, you know, just unload him for like a day three pick, that would be a tough look. I think you have to at least try to make it work. Uh, I'm not super confident that it will work. I, I do think there's some issues there where unless he really matures uh, just as a professional, I'm not sure it's going to work out. But I think you at least have to give it a shot because you're not going to get, you know, comparable value at this stage. So just try to see if, you know, Dable can get through to him. And, you know, he could be a big, you know, explosive weapon in this offense. I think you know, they owe it to themselves to try to make that work. But uh, like I said, I'm a little skeptical that it will. Dan, what, what do you think over the, the course of time that you've learned about Daniel Jones? I, know, I mean, I was a believer the first couple of years in, and then it sort of died off. But, you know, last year going into the season was, okay, we're, they're going to give him one more year. Now they're going to give him one more year. You bring in a guy who's made sort of a career as being a backup Tyrod Taylor. But in his mind, I mean, he could be a threat to take the position. Where's Daniel Jones' mindset in this? I mean, does he feel the heat in that this is, this is, his, last, that this is his last chance? Yeah, I mean, he. I will say this. He checks every box in tangibles-wise, so it's not as if, like, he needed, like, a kick in the butt to, like, get motivated. Like, he's, you know, first one in, last one out, all those cliches you want in your quarterback. So uh, I think he's certainly aware of the reality of the situation. I think that'll get driven home more in a couple of days because they've got to make the decision on the fifth-year option for 2023, I think, by, by the end of the day, Monday. I'd be stunned if they exercise that. I don't, you see with, you know, Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield, you don't really want a $22 million, you know, commitment to a guy you don't want to be a starting quarterback on your cap that's that gets dicey so i would think once they don't exercise that again then it's just staring right in the face like this is it it's sort of make or break um you know and they bring in tyrod taylor they i will say almost to their credit a lot of times coaches and you know people in football organizations bend themselves in pretzels to like not just say what's obvious like they're saying you know daniel jones is a starter this isn't an open competition which i think everyone kind of understood but like they're not kind of going along with the facade of oh we'll see now, that being said, if they're 0-6 in October and Daniel Jones is turning the ball over, then, you, yeah, you have a guy who's a viable option to step in. But uh, their plan is definitely for Daniel Jones to be the starter this season. Obviously, in their ideal world, he takes this huge leap that they believe he's had in him since they drafted him, you know, number six overall a couple of years ago, and he becomes their next Eli Manning. That's, that's obviously kind of the dream scenario. Uh, but they have set themselves up to, you know, obviously make a – make a change if need be after this year, assuming they don't exercise that option, which, again, would really surprise me if they do. So in Vegas, uh, we have to bet every day. It's just uh, the way things work, and uh, not really. Uh, but uh, over-under wins posted right now for the Giants is seven. The under is minus 125. If you had to lay money right now, where would you go? Over-under seven wins. I got to say, I saw that seven. That was, I mean, I know it's not a very high number. It was higher than I expected. I would have to go under. Um, okay. I mean, this is a this is a roster that just you know we were out there at the volunteer mini camp. I mean I know there'll be some reinforcements coming here in the draft, but it's it's really thin. I mean I, again I've covered the team for a while. I've covered some bad teams, but at this stage of the offseason, this roster is as thin as I've seen it. And again that's with I'm expecting James Bradbury to be gone you know within a week or so probably here. So uh, they they have they have some work to do. So I mean I know maybe Brian Dable can can work some magic, um, but this, this this is a roster that is a ways away in my opinion. So. Seven wins. I, I think I'd have to take the under on that. I think seven's probably the ceiling. So if you're playing the odds, I, I'd go under that. Uh, what do you think they're going to get for Bradbury? That's a good question. I think, you know, they thought the market would be a little bit better. I think the problem yes. there is he's going into the last year of his deal and it's a $13.5 million cap hit. So no one's really dying to, to give that type of, uh, you know, payment to a guy who's you know, 28. He's not too old, but. Uh, he's a really good player. He's not a great player. So I think everyone is sort of waiting them out, just knowing with their cap situation they're going to have to cut him. 
And so it's really just been a game of chicken since, you know, the combine. And again, at some point, I think something's going to have to give. Presumably, you know, I think the draft is really their best chance to make something happen. I don't, I mean, I think it's going to be a late pick. And, and if that, because the problem is, again, nobody wants to take on that $13.5 million salary. So it becomes a situation where you almost have to work out an extension with Bradbury to do a deal. So uh, there's a lot of moving pieces there. Uh, yeah, I think maybe a day three pick, maybe it's a situation where, you package him with like your fourth round pick for someone's third round pick, something like that. Like it's not going to be a big haul. It's probably not going to be a haul that represents him as a player. It's really the contract situation that's made him tough to move. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be kind of a the return won't look that good on paper, but it's, for them, it's really just a cap situation. They just can't afford to keep him. Dan, real good spot. We appreciate the knowledge. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys. There is Dan Duggan, the Athletic. Uh, go to The Athletic, follow all his work covering the Giants again. They have the number five and the number seven pick overall. Where are you watching the Friday portion of the draft, second and third round? And right now, that's where the Raiders pick in the third round. This Friday, Crazy Horse 3 is having a great viewing party. We're going to be down there from 3 to 6 with the live show. 3, 6, 4, 1100. You're calling right now. Caller 7. Ari's going to hook you up with free admission for four people. VIP treatment with bottle service. 3, 6, 4, 1100. It's Crazy Horse 3. They've got bucket specials. They've got bottle specials. As well, for everyone else who isn't getting the VIP uh, treatment from Ari, it's on Russell right across from Allegiant Stadium. Great Friday draft viewing party. Crazy Horse 3 is the spot. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. If you're looking at him through the lens of 2020 and you sit there in this draft and you want a quarterback and you get to that third or fourth round and the guy that you don't want is there and you say, I'm going to trade a fourth round pick for a guy that four years ago was the number one pick in the draft for a guy that two years ago led his team to the playoffs and was top 10 in the QBR. Baker Mayfield has the opportunity to walk away as the steal of the NFL draft. to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. A little over the top from uh, Dan Orlovsky. What do you think, Willie? Could Baker Mayfield be the steal of this draft? I'm not necessarily sold on that. Um, I think he would be maybe the draft that the, the pick that goes for him might be more of the steal just because I, you know, we haven't seen much of, of, I mean, he's being traded for a reason. So he's being, or he, he would be, he would be on the block for a reason. So maybe the pick that goes for him is the steal. Can you imagine the, the steal is some fourth round pick that Cleveland gets for Baker Mayfield. Uh, this is where Arlovsky's off. Yeah. There's, there is a, some upside left with Baker Mayfield, but the floor is, potentially devastating. Uh, if the Panthers were the team to trade for Baker Mayfield, he doesn't play well. He turns into a freaking, you know, massive drama queen. He actually could get Matt Rule fired. So there's a, there's a massive danger to bringing him into your organization if he doesn't freaking get it. And listen, these are stories that the entire league feels at times. We just talked about the Giants with, James Bradbury. We just talked about the Giants with Kadarius Tony, especially Tony, a first round pick. And, you know, after a year of having him around, you know, and, and you got a new regime, a lot of people are like, okay, is it, does this guy want to play football? Is he going to grow up? Is he going to be a child? Is he going to stay off freaking social media? So you also have to assess what the freaking floor is. And if it's going to ruin the organization, embarrass the organization, then 
he can't be the steal of the freaking draft. So the Raiders right now pick at 86. I know yeah. you were around when uh, GM Dave Ziegler talked last week. You sent over a story saying the Raiders are embracing the pressure. Is there really any pressure in this draft? Well, I, I think the pressure is what you do in those middle rounds. I think because I think it's, in a sense, it's somewhat tougher. Now, of course, the past regime of Mayock and Gruden proved that to be different with the, the route that they took in some of their top picks, a la Damon Arnett. But I think that the 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 pressure is because now you you've sort of weeded out those those certain those certain picks that are going to go in the first round those you know those those certain high draft picks so now you have to hope that you you grab the gems that are left over when you're trying to somewhat fill in the holes of an offensive line possibly strengthen your secondary you know fill in key positions it's not as if they're just sort of bolstering the lineup. They need to actually fill in specific spots and be precise with what they're doing. So I think there is some pressure in terms of, you know, what you do with your loan pick on day two if they do no dealing, right, if they do no trading in any way, shape, or form. I think you have to be pretty precise with that second-round pick. And then on day two, day three, you know, they have uh, – was it four picks, I believe? And, you know, that's where they're going – That there's even more pressure there because – that's where you have to sort of make sure it's like it's like being on the it's like being on the the blacktop in a basketball game or being on uh, on the grassy field and you're and you've gotten through the first three four rounds you know you've gotten through the first you've gone around and now okay well who do I take I need to make sure that I'm getting the best of the what's left over and so I think that's where the pressure lies because it's so critical for the Raiders to fill in holes in which. They made decisions to bring on big names, but they let some key components go from last year, uh, made some trades. Casey Harewood's gone in the secondary. Um, they have to make sure that they're bringing in the right guys um, to fill those spots, especially, as I said, on the offensive line and the secondary. First pick in the NFL draft right here in Las Vegas is a little over 48 hours away. Let's uh, turn our attention to back to the draft on the national level and bring in Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk, a national NFL insider, and we'll find out from him if there's any truth at all to Waller potentially moving from the Raiders to the Packers. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Hutchinson has it all. If you had a checklist of what a defensive end should look like, it's the production, it's the athleticism, the tools in his toolbox, but it's a good class outside of him. Travon Walker from Georgia is an explosive ascending athlete who is just starting to scratch the surface of what he can become. Kayvon Thibodeau was a five-star recruit and it still has, I think, the best first step in this entire draft class. Those three players could be the first three picks off the board Thursday night. Now. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Matt Miller, ESPN, draft analyst. Interesting way he put that. I don't know if that was a recent cut, but he mentioned Hutchinson first. And outside of that, it's a good group. Uh, there does seem to be momentum picking up that Hutchinson could go third <laughs> amongst those three guys. Now, if you believe the betting numbers on Walker, he's shot to the elite as the favorite to be the number one pick. And then there's a... A lot of people thinking the Lions might take Thibodeau. Let's bring in Miles Simmons, some of the intrigue at the top of the draft. We don't have quarterbacks. We're going to go too high, but um, 
you know, the O-linemen on the uh, defensive ends, there's a real active debate right now, Miles, about, you know, who the best ones are. And uh, obviously different organizations like different things in their offensive linemen and defensive ends. You're, you're really trying to sell this, huh, Steve? Man, oh, man. Well, here's the here's, thing. Gotta... You know what gets exciting? It gets exciting in a couple of years. And you're like, hey, Hutchinson slipped to three and Trayvon Walker sucks. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that's going to happen. Or, you know, you've got three offensive linemen who people love and then, you know, one's a 15-year starter, one stinks, and one bounces around to five teams because that, that, that is probably going to happen. Like, is, are you going to nail the right one? Yes, obviously, yeah. And look, I mean, that, that that's the thing every year, right? I mean, we can go back to a couple years ago where we had all those quarterbacks um, coming out of the draft, right, in 18. And, you know, people were debating, well, is it is the best one Josh Rosen? Is it Josh Allen? Is it Baker Mayfield? Is it Darnold? And we come down the line a few years, and, oh, by the way, Lamar Jackson is the only one who's won an MVP out of those guys, right? And then you have Josh Allen, who looks great, Josh Rosen is barely in the league still. Sam Darnold shouldn't be a starter, even though he is. Baker Mayfield's going to get traded. Right, so we don't. We just don't know, I guess, is to the point, um, is what you're saying. So, yeah, I don't know that I really answered your question at all because yeah. I talked about the draft from a few years ago instead of this draft because I guess that kind of tells you the way I feel about this draft right now. Well, it really wasn't a question. It was more of a, it's more of a comment. But I, I do find it fascinating, the draft process and judging personnel. And the other thing, is yeah. we are set up here without obvious names at skill positions to go in the top seven. And I'm curious to see, because I believe you build in the NFL. If you can get a great quarterback, you get a great quarterback. Beyond that, the draft to me is about getting offensive tackles, getting edge rushers, and getting cornerbacks. Those are the most premium positions. And when you're set up, like these teams that are lousy teams are set up, like, guys, you can't even blow this. Just take the important position well, watch someone will step out of line and make a shocking pick in the top six. Yeah, you know, that's funny, Steve. I, I think you're right about what getting the premium positions and getting them right. I mean, obviously, aside from quarterback, you're right, you have to get your tackle, right? At left tackle, right tackle, both of them are equally important probably at this point um, just based on the way these edge rushers are. And then you want to develop an edge rusher and then you want to develop cornerback too. And I think you, know, you the elites of the elites, they're going to go – early on in the draft and because there aren't really the elites of the elites this year it's kind of like eh, well i mean it's like the 2013 draft right i mean eric fisher goes number one overall to the chiefs and he plays very well for years and he stabilizes that left tackle position for him but then you know he gets hurt and that that's it for him right and then he goes to the colts and he doesn't look so great last year so who knows if he was really all the way recovered from that achilles so i i, I just i think Right now, look, if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, you're picking at number one again. You don't intend to pick number one again for a very long time, right? I mean, you, they said the same thing last year, but then Urban Meyer was a disaster. So whether it's Walker, whether it's Thibodeau, whether it's Aiden Hutchinson, which is the guy that it, it seemed like it's been all along, I mean, they've just got to get it right. And so, you know, I, the funny thing about the draft to me is people are always like, oh, well, you know, you think it's this and you don't like the pick, but they did that. That's like, well, I, it's not my job to get it right. You know, my job is just kind of talk about it. And I, I, and we'll see if who's right in a few years, but you know, if, if the Jaguars get this thing wrong again, then I mean, my God, like we're just going to be talking about the same stuff that we've been talking about with the Jaguars for what seems like the last, you know, decade and a half. Do you think someone will freak out like the Panthers or someone will come up from behind, say, 
Seattle to grab Malik Willis or another quarterback? Um, I don't, I think the Panthers are totally smoke screening everything, which is the thing that they should do. Right. I, I think that they'll end up with either Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, just based on this, like, uh, Scott Fitter, the, the GM of the Carolina Panthers comes from the Seattle Seahawks. And what do the Seahawks do practically every year? They trade down. So with that mindset, and especially because they don't have a pick in the second or third round, I really, the Panthers, I think, are going to try like hell to move out of the number six overall pick and move down and gain more assets. And that way, you know, Baker Mayfield's only going to fetch like a five or a six, right? Because the Browns are going to have to pay a lot of his salary. So there's just not gonna, there's not that much of a market for Baker Mayfield. You know, it's basically the Panthers and the Seahawks and maybe another team like the Falcons or the Bucks, perhaps if they want to come and have him be a backup. Like it's not, there's not that much. So for the Panthers, I think it's much more likely that they're going to try to trade down. They may not be able to do it, but I think that they're going to try and then we'll see them pick up a bunch of different assets. Cause that, that team's got a lot of needs all over the place. Cause they're still bad two years into the regime of Matt rule. Miles, I want to <clears throat> unfold this story a little bit, um, unpack this story a little bit with uh, Waller, Packers, and Raiders in a second. But you mentioned the Jaguars and not dropping the ball. Uh, obviously, Trevor Lawrence, quarterback there, when he came in, Justin Fields with Chicago. I've always been a Justin Fields guy ever since he won the Elite 11 competition up in Beaverton, Oregon. What do the Bears have to do in terms of making sure – that his progress continues. Are, are they sort of under pressure to, 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 cause they traded away obviously their top round pick to get him. What do they have to do this year? You know, it's interesting because whenever you have a quarterback with a new regime, I think it's important to remember that that, that regime didn't pick him. And it's not that I don't think that Ryan Poles and uh, Matt Eberflus don't believe in Justin Fields. I mean, they are, but they're coming into a situation where, yeah, you want to make sure you maximize Justin Fields' potential, but if after another couple of years you're deciding, like, eh, I don't really know about this guy, you can cut bait and you're not really at risk of being fired because, hey, you didn't pick that guy. You know, it's a sort of a similar situation with the Giants where they have to make a decision on Daniel Jones' fifth-year option by May 2nd, right? And you've got now um, a new GM and a new head coach there that don't have any prior connection to Daniel Jones. Obviously, like it's different because they got to make that decision quicker than the Justin Fields decision. But I like yes, you want to be able to maximize everything that you can get out of Justin Fields because the quarterback is the hardest thing to find and maximizing him is one of the hardest things to do. I mean, they have a guy in Luke Getze who has been with one of the best quarterbacks in the league and Aaron Rodgers. That was his quarterback's coach in Green Bay before moving on um, to uh, the Chicago Bears to be the OC. So uh, to answer your question, yeah, I think it's really important, but they're another team that doesn't currently have a first-round pick. All right, so Robert Quinn we're seeing today, he's another one of these guys. It's a veteran guy that, like Khalil Mack, got moved earlier. I mean, he's got a contract that they can move on from. You know, if they're really trying to do this thing and build a winning team and not rebuild, as Ryan Poles was talking about today, then that's another player that they could move to gain more assets to then maximize what they can get out of Justin Fields and help him grow with a lot of guys around him. Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk, is with us. All right, what'd you make of the uh, Packers media reports that the Raiders and Packers were engaged in talks for a Darren Waller trade? Oh, 
was kind of weird. I mean, it seemed like a little bit out of left field, and it seemed counter to everything that the Raiders have done so far, you know, in this offseason. They're not seeming to get rid of really good players. And why would you do it? I mean, I guess if you don't feel like you can sign Darren Waller to a long-term deal, but again, Darren Waller's deal is not up after this season. And so I'm not sure kind of where that came from. I, I can see why the Packers would certainly be interested in Darren Waller, but I have no idea why. If you trade for Devontae Adams, why would you then get rid of Darren Waller when you have what's right now a very good trio of pass catchers in Adams, in Waller, in Renfro? Like, the elite teams, they have that many options. So uh, to me, that 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 kind of was out of left field. And, you know, from everything I've seen, including from my old colleague, Vinny Bonsignor of the Las Vegas Review Journal, it, it just seems like that's a little nonsense. Uh, well, a couple things. I think if the Raiders really desired some young guys in the first and second round in this draft, it gives them an opportunity to get back into the draft. So <sighs> they have what they desire. And the other one is Waller has signed up with a new agency and – if there's a lack of clarity on what Darren Waller may want, and if he wants it before next year, then that changes things. If all of a sudden he wants a reworked deal and they don't think they can meet 15, 16 mil a year, whatever it would be, then you start to move on it. But wouldn't we hear that from Waller's camp like we have with Debo Samuel before you, we would, would randomly hear it from the Packers? You would think, I, unless you're trying to stick it to the Raiders and then you know spring it on them after the draft, which would kind of hamstring them in terms of, uh, you know, ways to get some value back for oh, Waller. But it also would hamstring Waller in terms of his options of where he could go. That's a good point. You know, I, I think we, we've seen this with the Tyreek Hill thing, right? I mean, they the I'll, I'll give a lot of credit to um, Tyreek Hill and Drew Rosenhaus and the Chiefs. Right? They kept all that stuff quiet. You know, it's like, I think I said it a few weeks ago on this show, real G's move in silence, right? Like that that's what happens when you have people who are – really doing a great job of communicating with each other and trying to find the best solution for one another. It's what we're not seeing right now with the San Francisco 49ers and Debo Samuel, but that's a, it's a, it's a very separate situation. It's a different situation. Um, but if Darren Waller were unhappy with the Raiders, then they need to communicate that internally. And then maybe sometime uh, during the draft, we'd see, Oh, Darren Waller is traded for X, Y, and Z. But again, I don't really see that happening. I mean, I, I think that Foster Moreau's got a lot of potential, but I don't think he's where Darren Waller is right now in terms of that career progression. So I, I, I from the Raiders standpoint, what they're doing and what they're putting together and the way they've done it and the division they've got to compete with, getting rid of Darren Waller from this roster just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and if Waller's cool with making $7 million a year, you know, that's great for the Raiders. So just like the car deal, that was great for the Raiders. So if the player's good with it, then you move forward with it. All right, what's coming up next couple of days? Uh, this is your cup of tea, man. Pro football talk. What do you guys got coming up for the draft? Well, pro f- <laughs> the draft is not my cup of tea. I'm not even going to lie to you. But No, I mean, look, I think it's going to be a great event in Vegas. I think the, the draft is always a fun event. And, you know, I wish I were there. I am not. Um, but I will be on uh, Pro Football Talk PM. We'll have that on Peacock over the next uh, few days to break down everything that's happening before the draft and everything that's happening after the draft. That is at 2 o'clock Pacific on Peacock, which, of course, is the exclusive streaming home of the office. Miles, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Take care. Pro Football Talk. Follow Miles up on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons.